is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Merry Christmas, everyone. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 565, recorded more or less on Christmas Day, December the 25th, 2021. Happy holidays, Christopher. Thank you, sir. Happy holidays to you as well. You've been work off work all week. How's it been going? Uh, so far, so good. I think it's good. I think I found out the uh, the secret to having a, uh, a Merry Christmas. What's that? Uh, so what you do is, uh, first of all, you have to have a fireplace and uh, you have fires going, but then what you do is you take a bunch of empty boxes and you wrap them up early for Christmas and you put them under the tree as decorations. All right. Uh, and then if you're, if your kids or kid are, are behaving inappropriately, you just simply pick up one of the presents and throw it in the fire. <laughs> tell me, please tell me you're doing this. No, sadly, haven't had a fire in years, but I think it's a great idea. Uh, and uh, when, when it be a little less traumatic, I think I might try it. Oh, that's funny. I like the idea, the sound yeah. of that, though. You do have a fireplace. Is it a functioning fireplace in your house? It absolutely is. We have a whole, we have a woodshed full of wood, and the fireplace, uh, we hadn't had a fire since before Jasper was born. And when we did, we've had it cleaned uh, and inspected every year by a professional chimney sweep. And they come in and do their thing. And since the last time they were here, we've had a single fire. So uh, it's probably in pretty good shape. Before we do it again, we'll have them come in and do it again. But It is good uh, for safety reasons and stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah, you don't want too much creosote up there and catch your chimney on fire. But everything's nice and clean. Uh, there's not even any animals living in there at the moment. Well, that's great. That's great. I mean, now is the season to have a fire. So you should you should think about it this year. If you can. Yeah, there's, uh, Jenny has asthma and it bothers her. Uh, oh, weird. When we do that, so, uh, and Jasper was a little young, and but he's getting older now, so maybe uh, maybe a nice fire would be okay. Yeah, cool, maybe. I think so. We have a fireplace too, uh, but unfortunately is a non-functional fireplace because we had our chimney taken down a number of years ago. So if we had a fire, yeah. it would just vent up into the attic, and that's not a great thing to do. Not the best. No. I remember having fires at your place. It was functioning for a while there. A long time, yeah. And then the chimney needed some work done and it was far cheaper to just take it down than it was to repair it. And at the time, it just made sense to take it down. So unfortunately, we don't have a chimney. Nothing else vented. Like the or the old furnace used to vent up the chimney and stuff like that, but none of that happens anymore. So we could safely remove it. But uh, it means now we have a fireplace that sits there and we can't do anything with it. So instead... You know, sometimes you put these little battery-powered lights in there, which look nice, but it's not a fire, right? Yeah, you can get the plug-in fire things that, that we had that at the apartment where you just, you put it in the fireplace and it's, you plug it in and it has a little pretend fire, but it's a heater. Yeah, yeah, we th we've thought about doing that too. I've just never gotten around to it. But anyways, uh, it's the Christmas and holiday seasons. So everybody's, uh, well, not everybody, but everyone's, you know, enjoying a little bit of time off. Some people are enjoying a little bit of time off. And mm. I have finally wrapped down work or wound down work for the year. Uh, this is it. You know, I worked a little bit this week, but really pretty much took it easy, which was nice. Awesome. And uh, here we are to record our, what's becoming an annual, like Christmas Day Talking Dead podcast. And I'm mm. looking forward to it. So... That is great. Uh, and 
you know, after this, this will, as you listen to this, it will be Christmas day. It'll come out on the 25th or, or after, if you don't get to it right away, which is perfectly understandable. That's the beautiful beauty, beauty part of uh podcast. Totally. That uh, you let them stack up. I've got podcasts stacked up for a couple of years now <laughs> that uh, I'll go back and listen to at some point. Well, that's the thing. And that was one of the, one of the many things I have really disliked about this whole pandemic that we're in right now is that, you know, I work from home most of the time now, so I no longer ride the subway to work. I don't really commute that much. Sometimes I have to drive into an office, which is annoying these days, but for a long time I didn't. And that was my prime podcasting podcast listening time. And I completely lost it. So now I have probably years worth of podcasts to listen to, which I would like to get to someday, but my God, I don't know how I'll ever find the time. Me, it's just, uh, it's mostly film sack and true crime podcasts. Yeah. Well, I've got, I've got lots of them. There are a few that I like so much that I, I make time for and I keep up with, but, uh, there are lots that I have sitting there, you know, subscribed to on my phone and just staring me in the face every day going, why aren't you listening to me? Put me on. Are you still subscribed to this? My, uh, my app asked me, are you still want to listen to this or, yeah. uh, cause you haven't listened to in a, in a goodly part of a year. Like, yeah, and I'll keep downloading them just to, you know, just keep it up. Yeah. Good, good little app. I'll get, get to it. it. Get to it. Well, anyways, listen, speaking of podcasts, uh, I don't think I mentioned this before, but a few weeks back, Spotify started releasing their 2021 wrap ups for people. Some of the stats about you know, what their listening habits were and things like that. And a a few people tweeted at us that we were on their top podcasts of the year, sometimes in first place. So I would like to thank everyone for, for letting me know about that. And of course, just for listening and, and, uh, being in your popular list of podcasts, that is fantastic. But also I got an email this week from Liz in Pittsburgh and she sent a screenshot of her wrap up. Her her number one podcast was us. And listen to this, Jason. It Spotify told her that she listened to 410 of our episodes in 2021. Jesus. Totaling 31,973 minutes. <laughs> I don't understand that stat. It doesn't make it. I, I have a hard time comprehending that much listening time. I mean, holy crap, 31,973 minutes. I mean, thank you, Liz, for spending that much time with us. It is absolutely mind-blowing and incredible that you 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 did. That's like 22 days or something like that? Yeah. I, 22 days out of 365 she spent listening to us. That is, I mean, kind of nuts, but amazing at the same time. That's, uh, that's probably more time than my wife has spent this year listening to me. Yeah. And you hang out with her every day. Every day. I mean, I've spent more time than that listening to her, but (laughs) the the amount of time that she listens to me probably doesn't total that much. Probably not. Well, uh, Liz, that is fantastic. Thanks to everyone though, for putting in the time with us this year and all of the years and, uh, whether it's 31,000 minutes or 31 minutes. We appreciate you. We do. Listening. So there you go. 
All right. We have uh, a movie to review this week. It is a Christmas movie. But first, I want to take a quick look at some feedback from listeners uh, we've gotten over the last couple of weeks since the Walking Dead shows have wrapped up, and that would be World Beyond and Fear. Uh, I got an email here from listener Chris in Dayton, Ohio. And first off, I think this might be the longest email we've ever received from a listener, Jason. I don't know for sure uh, because I didn't, you know, uh, we've received a lot over 11 years or whatever it's been. But this one seemed especially long. And here's some more statistics for you. I copied and pasted it into a character counter just for fun because I wanted to see. As one does. As one does. And uh, Chris's email came in at 13,341 characters a total of 2,371 words and 29 paragraphs. Holy shit. Okay, that's pretty long. So solid, solid email. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing. That's a dissertation is what that is. Seriously, it absolutely was. He had a lot of things to say. If I did read the whole thing, we'd be here all night and that'd be the whole podcast. But I am going to pull out a few different excerpts here on some different topics. So to start us off, this is Chris from Dayton, Ohio. And here he's talking about Alicia uh, being infected. Chris says, by the time we got to the bite stuff, I was feeling a bit salty and almost offended that we would buy it. We know how bites in the Walking Dead universe work. So if Alicia is dealing with something, it can't be the walker bite. She would have already been dead. I find the show implying she's fighting off a bite infection for months to be absurd. Not only did the show itself offer numerous more likely reasons, i.e. good old regular infection or sepsis, etc. Hell, maybe ongoing radiation issues. But the showrunners in the post-episode Insider and the interviews have emphasized that Alicia thinks she is bite infected. But here's the interesting part that I've not seen anyone mention. Fear has done a similar universe rule-breaking implication in the past with Red-Eyed Morgan. If we recall, there was a promo teaser for Fear Season 6 that showed Red-Eyed Morgan being avoided by walkers despite not wearing guts, heavily implying that he was immune to the hunger of walkers. But when the episode actually aired, they dispelled the Morgan is immune pretty quickly by revealing that it was his festering wound all along. Here we are at a mid-season break, or hiatus if you're old school, with the show suggesting something similar, and I just can't buy it after the Morgan tease. So I guess Chris is saying that, sure, they may, the character of Alicia may think that's what's going on, and maybe they want us to be speculating on it as the audience, but really, they're not going to break the rules of the universe in such a huge way here, and they'll deal with it in some other way once fear resumes for the second half of this season later this year, or next year, I guess. Yeah, probably, but they're also not, uh, we know from the post credit scene, uh, that they're willing to shake things up, right? So maybe, yeah. uh, maybe we're maybe we're taking a departure in a number of ways, uh, with uh, with the infection. Maybe you know the infection has evolved into something else. I don't know. Uh, or maybe they're trying to take a page out of Blade, where he's the daywalker. He's half vampire, half uh, not vampire, and uh, he kills vampires. So maybe maybe Alicia's the uh, uh, there's a good way to phrase this that probably would be incredibly witty. 
I don't know what that is, but it has to do with Walker and half zombie. So maybe she's a, you know, a zombie hybrid that uh, will kick some ass and take some names. And we know zombies don't have any names. Yeah. Uh, something about that whole, I, that uh, something like that just rubs me the wrong way, though. Like, I don't there. There are certain things I think I can accept and, you know, different versions of uh, this zombie infection like we saw in France and whatever they're going to do with that. I was a little unsure about it first, but I've kind of come around to it after we talked about it and after thinking about it a little bit more. And in, in fact, after hearing uh, who was it, Gimple, say that like this is a very specific thing for now. It's a story we're going to tell in a specific location and Sure, it impacts the rest of the Walking Dead universe, but it might not have a widespread impact right away. I kind of felt better about it after hearing that. With this thing on Alicia, though, something about it, like I said, rubs me the wrong way a little bit more. And mm -hmm. uh, it just feels like it goes against the more basic rules of this universe that you get bit and that creates uh, an infection that you basically can't serve, can't survive from or recover from and has nothing to do with you turning into a zombie because we know everyone does regardless of how you die the bite creates an infection that kills you yes all of a sudden the bite doesn't do that and that feels like a basic basic low-level rule that you can't screw with yet here they are doing it so i think chris might be right when yeah. he says you know, this is just kind of a tease, a fake out. And when they come back to it, they'll realize that Alicia has some other kind of infection that's not fatal that she's been living with for a while and some way can be treated. Uh, yeah. And I'm, I kind of tend to agree with that, that, uh, you know, it's not the infection, but it is a infection. Right. That's a perfect way of saying infection. it. Yeah. <laughs> right. And a apple, not, a, not the apple, but a apple an apple. Yes. <laughs> an infection. Uh, all right. Well, thanks Chris for that. He goes on regarding Madison coming back to the show and he says, I reacted to Madison's return with equal parts, confusion, shock, excitement, and dread. I'm at a bit of a low point as a fear fan, and it seems like the time for her to return has passed. Despite this, I find myself very much warming up to the idea after hearing Kim talk about her return. AMC did Kim Dickens dirty. I think money alone would not compel her to return. So hearing her say she's very excited for the story ahead gives me hope that we'll get an upswing in season 8 and 7B. I also have a really hard time believing Kim would return if Alicia and or Strand were on their way out. So what do you think about that, Jason, that her coming back is a sign that she has evaluated the upcoming storyline to a degree and, you know, is on board with it and thinks it's going to be good and wouldn't want to put herself in a situation where we're going to continue to make crap ass TV, which we have on fear for a little while now. Put, that's putting a lot of faith into an actor uh, that probably has motivations other than uh, quality storytelling. Uh, I, you know, there's a lot of actors out there that, uh, you know, were good actors that, uh, like when was the last time Bruce Willis did a movie where he wasn't phoning it in? <laughs> was it sixth sense maybe? Like it's been a while and, you know, as a, as a collective, uh, you know, pop culture, uh, aficionado, uh, I like Bruce Willis, but <laughs> 
his movies have been fucking garbage for quite some time. It's funny. I, I don't know that I've seen a recent Bruce Willis movie uh, in a long time. They come up like three times a year and they're all crap. Like straight to video kind of things. Yeah. He's just, I, I do get the feeling that he's doing things like that just for the paycheck these days, you know? Yeah. He, it's absolutely, he's given up. So, you know, it's, it would be nice to think that, uh, that Kim Dickens coming back is a testament to how the story could play out and that she's coming back for uh, reasons other than monetary. But you got to understand this is their jobs, right? Their job is to act into, in things. Yeah, of course. Uh, So they get paid to do that. And, uh, you know, there might be a mentality of a job is a job is a job. And we know popular actors have done things just for the paycheck. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so it's, it's hard to say, and you also can't judge the quality of a, a movie or a television show solely on the actor that is in it. Oh, I like them. I'm going to go see that because that's going to be good. You know, that, that'd be, that's a nice ideal to live towards, but it's not a great indicator of a quality movie. I mean, look at Passengers, right? <laughs> right. Uh, Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence. And they're in a movie where they're together and they're the, that's probably, that's primarily it for actors. And it's a space movie and they're on a spaceship. How could this movie be bad? It's impossible for this to be a crappy movie. Yet it was a crappy movie. Right. Sometimes, uh, all these good ingredients don't come together to create a, a, a delicious cake in the end. Andy Garcia for about a hot second. Uh, yep. You know, Lawrence Fishburne, and I'm trying to rack my mind on the uh, the Android bartender, uh, what his name was, but I can't remember. But I like him as an actor as well. This is the perfect movie as far as, uh, you know, seeing a poster with uh, a depiction of uh, a spaceship and uh, a cast list. Uh, this is the perfect movie. Yeah. Sounds like it was made for you. It was, yeah, you would think, you would think that that would be true, but, uh, it had a lot of issues. Okay. Anyway. So best case scenario, what Chris and Dayton is saying is true. And Kim is coming back because she's evaluated it and been like, I need to be a part of this. Worst case scenario, much more likely scenario is that she's coming back because she's a working actor and wants to work. Things have lined up, right? Yeah. She yeah. has availability. Uh, they have an opening. They have a storyline. They've probably explained the high, uh, you know, high level arc of what this, how this is going to work. And she's like, yeah, I'm in. This sounds interesting. And that might be it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, 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 I do think that's much more likely. Uh, maybe best case scenario truly is that somewhere middle of the road is true, you know? She's looked at it. She thought, this is this is pretty good. I can put my name on this. I can be a part of this. Maybe it's not going to be award-winning TV because I just don't see this show turning around that much all at once. But uh, if it's better than it's been, Jason, step in the right direction because it has not been good for some time now. Uh, yeah. And you also have to remember that actors can be idiots, even good actors. Like look at Bill Murray in uh, Garfield. Remember that movie Garfield? I don't think I ever saw it, but I mean, I'm aware of it. Yes. It was absolute garbage. And uh, Bill Murray absolutely uh, agreed that it was absolute garbage and he didn't read it. And all he saw was uh, written by uh, Joel Cohen, uh, which is not a Cohen brother. 
and he thought it was, <laughs> so he signed up. And then once he was already locked in, he's like, oh shit. Aren't Oh shit. Wait, wait, wait. Isn't one of the Cohen brothers named Joel Cohen? Yeah, but not this one. Okay, different guy. A different guy. <laughs> it's, it, you know, it's confusing. Uh, it's confusing, yeah. But uh he that's why he signed up because he saw Joel Cohen on it and uh signed in. He's like, Yeah, I'm all in. It's like, uh, yeah, okay, you're locked in here, Bill Murray. Now you're doing a goddamn Garfield movie. And it was crap. And he knew it, but he was doing it anyway. He had to do it anyway, yeah. And it's Bill Murray. I mean, sure, it's hit and miss and everything, but still, even professional actors with, like, tenure have uh, have some shitty moments sure. in, their, in their career choices. Fair enough. All right. Well, we will have to wait and see what happens to Fear when Kim comes back and- all indications are that she is returning, not in season eight, but in season seven B, which uh, starts next spring. Yep. Uh, all right. One final thing from Chris's email is that he wrote, he mentioned in his email a Variety.com article about product placement in World Beyond. And this came up because he was talking about how the ratings are really just one part of the puzzle when it comes to making a show profitable, of course. Right. And we often talk about the ratings and how much they've uh, come down to earth on mostly The Walking Dead, the main show, but sometimes also Fear and World Beyond. And I, I appreciate him pointing out this article because it gives some information on actually sort of the ad deals that companies have with AMC for Walking Dead. For example, Jason, Pepsi, the popular soft drink company. I am familiar. They spent $69.3 million on advertising in The Walking Dead and Fear the Walking Dead in 2019. I don't recall Pepsi being in the shows. They don't, they, the Pepsi products weren't necessarily in the shows, but they advertised during the broadcasts. So oh, okay. you don't watch commercials, so you don't see those. $69.3 million, 2019, on ads in those two shows. I feel like that's a lot, and that much money can get quite a few episodes of the show made. So, sure, yeah. the ratings are lower, but $69 million from one advertiser is a lot of cash. It is. Yeah, it is. You know, and that's, uh, that's why, uh, you know, the bread and butter of television shows, right? That's why you need the eyeballs. Uh, cause you get the, you get the revenue dollars. Well, exactly. Right? And the other information that was in this article, which is related to that is that the current going rate for a 30 second ad on the walking dead is about $135,000. The going rate for a 30 second ad on fear currently is about $52,000. That's still a pretty good chunk of money. Um, at its peak, the walking dead cost for a 30 second ad was over $500,000. That's back when we were getting 15 to 17 million viewers per episode. So that's 30, uh, 30 second spots. And yep. if a, a typical show is 44 minutes, that uh, 44, 54, 60. So that's, uh, you know, 16, 17 minutes worth of uh, uh, times two. That's, you know, 500,000. So that's, uh, that's what, $32 million an episode? <laughs> Something crazy. I don't know. Is it that at, much? Yeah. At its peak, right? But for $50,000, it's $320,000. You know, uh, it's 32000 It's It's a crazy lower number, but still, uh, yeah. you know, it adds up after a while. You know what they say, a million dollars here and a million dollars there. Eventually, it adds up. 
eventually it adds up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but that, I mean, that uh, to me, that was pretty eye opening as I've never really thought about the ad factor here uh, when, you, when it comes to the finances of these shows. But that's clearly a ton of money. And if they're still making that much money when we have only a million or two viewers versus 15, um, I can see why they're reluctant to cancel things, even fear. Um, now, obviously, The Walking Dead is winding down now, but there's other things launching. There's other shows coming. So, yeah, it, it just makes it obvious to me that we it's clear that they want this to go on forever. And yeah, it will be or should be pretty um, profitable for them in, you know, to the end of time. <laughs> yeah, there's, you know, it's, it's, a, I'm sure you can plot it on a graph, but there's a quality versus profitability graph, right? At the beginning of a show, uh, your quality factors into that profitability. You need to have a quality show in order to have uh, yeah. the profitability, depending on budgets and that kind of stuff. But eventually, you know, the quality, doesn't necessarily factor in because you have the, uh, you know, the, the lost cost fallacy or whatever it is, uh, sunk cost fallacy yep. where, you know, you put in this amount of time, I'm not, you know, you don't want to give up now. Right. So you just keep sinking your eyeballs into the show, even though it's complete garbage in some <laughs> cases, yeah. uh, but you're still watching and those still, those eyeballs still make the, make the money. So the, you know, the profitability is still high, even though the quality, they don't care about it anymore. It's like, maybe it factors in a little bit, but as long as the show is profitable, they're still going to make it. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it feels like it'll always be profitable based on ad money like that. Uh, and, and this doesn't even factor in the whole um, vertical integration scam that they're being sued yeah. for and, and things like that of, of, you know, selling the show to themselves and so on and so forth. Oh yeah. It's the production company versus the, uh, you know, the marketing company, right? It costs, uh, you know, it, it, you have to pay for marketing and marketing is so expensive for the show, yep. uh, that we have to pay millions of dollars an episode just for the marketing, even though it's the same goddamn company that's doing the marketing is, uh, that's doing, that's doing the production mm -hmm. still that's, you know, vertical integration, production and distribution. It's all the same people now, but they somehow do some creative accounting to, to, uh, you know, claim a lot of money without actually well, a lot of money changing hands kind of thing. So yeah, right now my brain is trying to figure out how to do this on my taxes. Yeah. Right. How can I pay, you know, it costs me money to, uh, make dinner. So, <laughs> yes. uh, I, it, you know, I can't really claim this part, this portion of my income went into the cost of meals for my family that, uh, that had to be prepared, not the food, but the actual cost of preparation. So I had yeah. to pay someone, <laughs> Guess who that is yeah. to make dinner every night for a year. And that cost a lot of money, like 70% of my income went to paying for that person, uh, who's also me, right. Uh, to make, if that wasn't clear, uh, to make dinner, uh, you know, could I, could I, could I work that into my taxes? Well, once you figure that out and if you're not in jail, uh, good for you. It, we're in Canada. You can't go to jail for tax evasion. No, I know, but it is not a criminal law. Eventually, you'll end up owing, owing a lot of money. Yes, they'll yeah they'll come at you and go, you owe us more money now. It's like, well, I'm not paying it. 
Well, you're going to owe us a little bit more later if you don't pay it. (laughs) Okay, then. No problem. But then we're going to send you a letter. It's going to be pretty nice, but firm. (laughs) Uh, Jason, for the record, is not advocating to not pay your taxes, everyone. No, absolutely not. You should pay your taxes. We have a wonderful uh, government. No, well, society. No. Anyway, pay for your taxes because uh, I hurt my head recently and I had free health care. So I, that's important to me. And you got a good road to drive your car on and. Yeah, absolutely. Things Lots like that. of good things that uh, you should always pay your taxes, but uh, sometimes it costs a lot of money to pay for a, 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 you know, a chef to cook dinner for you every night. Whether it's you or somebody else. Yeah, it still costs money. Anyways, uh, just before we move on, the product placement uh, note off the top here was that World Beyond had Mountain Dew in the episode. Uh, uh-huh. I don't know if you remember, but, and I'm, I'm not even sure, is Mountain Dew the same company as Pepsi? Like, does Pepsi make Mountain oh, Dew? Oh, who knows? I don't know. Anyways, they had actual product placement, but wa- The Walking Dead isn't immune. You know, Hyundai was in there and stuff like that. So it's, it's happened there before. Mm-hmm. Finally, I got a call here from Reese in the UK. Hey, Chris and Jason, I just wanted to quickly ring in. I, I've got this thing burning in the back of my mind, man. I, I'm, I was just listening to the podcast from the other day uh, where you two were talking about the end scene from well beyond the little post-credit bit. Now, I'm wondering if that is going to be the reason for the movies. Because you were talking about the fast zombies and the fact that every anime, even if it had been shot in the head and stuff like that, which is pretty friggin' insane, but super exciting at the same time. But could that be the reason why Rick never came back? If he suddenly became aware of what was that situation, and maybe they're trying to contain or deal with that situation, it could be a really good reason for why him um, and Michonne have never turned back up. Because, I mean, that would take priority because they're going to try and save their children by dealing with that situation. I don't know, it seems kind of interesting. It also could be why Jadis has turned so much, because maybe she's aware of the situation. Um, so wiping people out in big groups could be part of their actually dealing with the uh, the preemptive strike against the Zomzoms. Uh, I don't know. I was just wondering about this, but it seems super interesting to think that that could be part of what the movies are going to become, and it also would give kind of a valid reason for why Rick never got back, and uh, and why Michonne has potentially not got back either. So uh, yeah, let me know what you guys think. Thank you for doing the podcast. You guys are awesome as always. Catch you in the next one. Bye. Thanks, Reese. So. Is it possible that Rick has discovered this and has decided to go and deal with that situation in an, you know, in the interest of saving or making life a little bit easier for all of the people he left behind? I feel like that's probably a little bit harder to explain, but, you know, if that whole French situation does expand into really eventually into the greater Walking Dead universe, then Rick's got to be involved somehow. Yeah, it's true. The only thing, only the only correlation between France and the U.S. that I can think of is that France is the only other country with nuclear uh, aircraft carriers. So is that true? I don't know. I think it okay. is, but uh, <laughs> that's the only explanation I can think of. They got a nuclear-powered aircraft carrier, so uh, yeah, why wouldn't he go to France on that? Yeah, of course. <laughs> why not? If you have a chance to do that, do it. Yeah. <laughs> Take it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the hell's going on. It's it would be a bit odd, but then Michonne is doing exactly the same thing, right? Right? She has, uh, you know, two kids that she's responsible for, and she's like, "Fuck you! I'm going to go take care of this situation." It's like Jesus, uh, you got some kids to take care of. You can't just like say, you know, leave them with the babysitter, which essentially is what she did. 
So yeah, without even really briefing the babysitter, you know, she just took yeah. off and said, uh, I'm not uh, coming back. I'm going to the store for some smokes. I'll be right back. And then you get distracted by whatever, uh, and you don't come back. I mean, sure. It might be a noble cause and everything, but Jesus, you have some responsibilities local rather than global. So it's, it's hard to take. All right. That is it for feedback and follow-ups for now. And also probably it for Walking Dead talk this episode. But we are going to move on and talk about sort of a Christmas movie, uh, which is something we did last year when we talked about the um, Christmas horror story starring William Shatner. Uh, That was definitely a Christmas film because the whole premise of the film was related to Christmas. This one is called Silent Night from this year, 2021. And it was written and directed by Camille Griffin. And this is her first feature length directing job. I looked her up, never done, well, directed a few shorts, worked in the camera department, stuff like that. But this is her first real writing and directing job on a feature film. So that's exciting. Yeah. This movie stars Kira Knightley, Matthew Good and Roman Griffin Davis, and then a bunch of other mostly British actors, Jason, that I wasn't familiar with, but many of whom have done tons of other work. So you may recognize a few of these people, but I didn't. Lucy Punch was uh, was the big one for me. I was like, oh, Lucy's in this. I really like her. She was uh, she was in uh, uh, bad, bad Teacher. Uh, do you remember that one? A long time ago. Uh, she was bit parts and she was also in a television series that I watched uh what the hell vexed where she played a detective and uh it was it's kind of a crappy she was in the first season but it was kind of a crappy kind of comedy detective series British detective series okay so I I recognized her uh from from those so I knew I knew who she was I, I know the name but I I didn't recognize anyone else really in this film other than Kira Knightley and Matthew Good and Roman Griffin Davis plays one of the kids, sort of the main kid. Art. Art, that's right. And he was in uh, a movie called Jojo Rabbit from a couple of years ago. And I Oh, that was him. Okay. I never saw Jojo Rabbit, but I, I always mean to go back to that. It's a good movie. I liked it. He was good in that. And I thought he was really good in this too, actually. Now, before I read the plot summary from IMDb, I do want to remi- uh, remind everyone that when we review movies, we tend to spoil them right off the bat. So we are going to do that here. And I say that before I read the plot summary, which isn't terribly spoilerish, but just to give everyone the time to uh, pause us if you want, or if you haven't seen Silent Night and you're really interested in watching the latest Kira Knightley performance, then I suggest go do that uh, and then come back and, and listen to us here. But uh, fair warning on spoilers coming up for Silent Night very soon. Mm-hmm. Good, good thinking. All right. IMDb plot summary for this movie. Nell, Simon, and their son Art are ready to welcome friends and family for what promises to be a perfect Christmas gathering. Perfect except for one thing. Everyone is going to die. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I don't know why that's funny to me, that description. I mean, it's apt and accurate, but I don't know. It's funny. Uh, and then just quickly here, I, th- I thought I'd p- point out that IMDb has this movie rated at 5.7 out of 10 with almost 6,000 ratings. So wow, pretty good sample size. 
Rotten Tomatoes, on the other hand, has it at 64% based on 97 reviews, which actually puts it in the fresh department, although the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes is only 49%. So critics liked it more than regular people. And you, Jason, as a member of, I guess, the regular people, I want to know what, what you thought. not a the, critic. Yeah. What did, what did you think of this movie, Silent Night? I went through, uh, it was... It was a bit of a roller coaster for me. So it went through, uh, I'm looking, I was, I watched the trailer for this. So a couple of like when we first, you first announced that we were going to watch this, I had no idea what this was. So I watched the trailer. I cut the trailer off once I got the gist of it. And I was, uh, you know, I, so I went into this thinking, okay, black comedy, right? Right. Which, which is fine and everything. So it, it went from, and it started off kind of whimsical and, you know, they broke into, a. Uh, a gas station to get some uh, some kind of pudding. I'm not sure what kind of pudding that was. Sticky toffee pudding. Sticky toffee pudding, whatever that is. <laughs> not stiffy. That's something totally different. Sticky toffee pudding. Oh, sticky pudding. toffee pudding. Right, whatever. <laughs> so, you know, it it was kind of entertaining and I was like, oh, I'm really into this. I really like this. Uh, and then it went down into, Chris, what the fuck did you make me watch? This put on film some of my worst fucking nightmares uh, that I have in my personal life. Absolutely the worst uh, feelings that I could have watching a movie. You've got fucking dead babies, okay? You've got parents having to kill their kids. Uh, you've got kids that are, this is going to spoil the very ending, but you've got kids that are alive where their parents are dead. Uh, and these are the, I have things, I have problems with kids in danger in movies and you put all of those three things on the fucking screen uh those are and i'm having a hard time talking about this without getting emotional or upset but these are my worst nightmares absolutely the worst it was horrible okay horrible so but i enjoyed the fucking movie okay, okay. let's just set that straight but i'm glad it's over and I'm never watching this again. So what genre would you would you drop this movie into then? Because the way you talk about it, I think people, or the things you've said so far, I think people would get the wrong impression about what this movie actually is. It started off as black comedy. Yeah. Right? And then you got uh, Lucy Punch, which is, she's a comedian. She's a professional comedic actor. So, and I liked her in a lot of the other things. So I'm like, okay, Lucy Punch is in this. Uh, and it's got, uh, you know, Carrie Knightley, which I'm, you know, hot and cold on, a little bit warm. Matthew Good, I really liked. You know, I'm also a Law & Order fan and he was fantastic in that. Uh, you know, so this was, it started off as a good black comedy. I enjoyed it. They got, it got a bit emotional, but then it turned into pure fucking horror. But, uh, but it's not a horror film. Like it's not a. It is to me. Okay. <laughs> it is to me, that's the thing, is that it hit, uh, it hit some nerves that I have, uh, around this kind of thing, and it had you know, uh, the end of the world and mm -hmm. not being able to protect your family from this and having to force your kids to deal with the fact that everybody's gonna fucking die. Right. So it's horrifying. Okay. So it's. It's not a gory film. It's no. not a, it's not no. one of those. I don't care about that. Gory film, you can watch that shit all day long. Okay. Don't care. All right. So you would call it maybe a psychological horror film. Yes. And, and, and amped up for you for various specific reasons. Um, it may have a different effect on other people. Kind of a thriller, maybe, but not a, it, not it a. It dropped uh, the comedy. It not, dropped the comedy. Yeah. Uh, that's true. 
I mean, it's it's almost a, you know, the, the very early scenes are almost a romantic comedy in a way, right? Well, it very much was Love Actually. It started off as Love Actually, uh, you know, just kind of an ensemble, kind of weird, quirky comedy cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, it had some funny moments and then there was some, some interpersonal stuff and uh, you know, the, the kids were kind of funny cause they were allowed to swear. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, they pulled out all the stops except for the C word, uh, that, uh, they weren't allowed to say the C word and I'm not allowed to say it either. So it's fine. But they do in the movie a couple of well, times. They do a couple of <laughs> times, but, uh, so the kids are allowed to swear, which, you know, when you kids swearing is funny, it's always funny. Yeah. Right. Look at kick-ass, right. With, right. Uh, it's funny. Chloe Moretz. She was what, 12 in that and. It was funny. It's good. It's, it's, it's a good stable or a staple for comedy. So letting kids swear. Great. So it, it, it started off kind of quirky, funny, love actually Christmas movie. Uh, so it played on that, but then it took this, the premise was there, but they dropped the comedy and just turned into pure psychological fucking push Jason's buttons, bullshit horror. All right. So I think what we need to do then is, is go back and explain the actual premise of this movie. And it is kind of what IMDb said that everyone gets together for this Christmas gathering. However, it is overshadowed by the fact that that night is essentially the end of the world. The, the apocalypse is coming in the form of a massive, I guess cloud environmental disaster, a toxic cloud that is sweeping across the planet and kills everything in its path. And they know this because it has already passed over other parts of the world and nobody has survived. So this group of people, which are old school friends uh, and they're now children, um, are in a situation where the government has issued them suicide pills. And their plan is to all take the pills before the cloud comes so they all die and no one has to suffer when the toxic cloud passes by them because they know what that means. And you're right. It starts off with the preparation for the evening, uh, everyone arriving, them actually having a nice time for the most part. They don't have enough potatoes for everybody. It's, It's a funny situation. Exactly. And they don't have enough potatoes because the shops were all closed because it's the end of the goddamn world. Exactly. Right? It's a funny situation, black comedy based on the end of the goddamn world, all classic, (laughs) wonderful stuff. Like it was, uh, I was delighted by the first 40 minutes of this movie. Sure. I was like, I'm putting this on my Christmas list. Well. This is my, this is going to be a Christmas movie for me. Yeah. But that went out the window a little bit later. Okay. Well, to be fair to me. I knew the basic idea here. I didn't know what the details of the apocalypse were in this film. I just knew it wasn't, you know, it, this this isn't a, a love actually happy-go-lucky Christmas movie. There was something more to it. I didn't know the, ba- the premise beyond that, that there was the suicide pills and that the movie becomes very dark and bleak and has to wrestle with the idea of killing yourself in the face of uh, a natural disaster. And, and your kids. And, your, and having to force your kids, not force them, but convince your kids that they need to die. Right. Now, that is rightfully so, as you said, one of the most horrifying things in the film. But it's also kind of one of the most interesting. The characters in this movie have to come to grips and with this idea and the way the parents and the adults approach it versus the way the children do 
and not all the kids, some of them, one in particular, Art, really, who's like the main character kid, yeah. um, I found quite interesting. And yes, it's bleak and it's dark and it's horrific and no one would want to actually have to be in this situation. But I think this movie did a pretty good job of presenting that different perspective and how the adults were able to come to terms with it. And the kid who, you know, he's probably... 12, 13, he's not really little, you know, he's sort of about the age of my kids, to be honest. Uh, He is the one who isn't quite able to process it the same way and questions it and wonders what the hell. And I found that actually pretty interesting in this movie, uh, despite the really dark setting that it's all framed around. Yeah. So I really like this movie. Uh, I, I liked it too. And that's the thing that hurts so much is that I did like this and I agree absolutely with you that they framed it really well. They portrayed it really well. It was realistic in that uh, kids process information different than adults. Adults in this situation probably would accept it more uh, than uh, the kids would because the kids have, uh, you know, art had concerns about what about everybody else that didn't get the pill? Yeah. Right. Like, uh, and how do you know that this is going to kill everybody? How do you know this? It's like you just, you know, scientists say, who are scientists? What do you mean? Maybe there's some shithead scientist that was lazy and didn't up- upload his data and he died, right? It's, it's, it's all possibilities that a, that, uh, a kid would go through. Mm-hmm. You know, why do you know this? To question everything. So be a, he was a skeptic and it was all... Uh, portrayed really well. The parents getting upset that he is not complying with the fact that, you know, because they want to protect him. They don't want him to suffer. Right. But in order to protect him and not have him not suffer, he has to die. Right. Along with all of them. (laughs) So very well portrayed. Yeah. Good, solid black comedy at the beginning, uh, turning into a psychological thriller horror, uh, you know, for the latter part of it. Uh, all well done. I enjoyed this movie. The subject matter, uh, having to do with the kids and the end of the world and the different aspects of that hit all the right notes (laughs) to fucking piss me off and to just get me into a psychological stupor. I couldn't, I watched this movie last night before I went to bed, uh, and it, I was up late watching this and I couldn't go to bed. Like, just like, there's no way I can go to bed after watching this. So I had to go into a YouTube spiral on purpose to get this shit out of my head so that I could fall asleep. It just, it hit all of those buttons that just horrify me and are my worst nightmares. Absolutely. Well, listen. Dead baby in a car because their parents had to kill the baby. Yeah, that scene, uh, I wasn't, I mean, not a super fan of, but it, it had its purpose, right? Like Art runs away. He runs out after, after, uh, you know, confronting his parents basically about what the hell are they doing? They're murdering him. Right. Yeah. And then he finds this family in the car. Uh, I believe they took their pills. I think there were open pill wrappers. Yes, there in the were car. open pill wrappers. So all the, the, you know, they were all, there was no vomit or anything. Cause there was one of the doctor, there was one of the characters, right. was the doctor. 
Uh, and he was asking questions about uh, what the state were. So did they die uh, because of the, you know, the toxic cloud or did they take their pills? Right. And the answer was they all took their pills. They look like they all died peacefully. Yeah. Now that scene though was instrumental for Art because, you know, the cloud is pretty close at that point. And while he is out there before his dad comes and finds him, he breathes in a little bit of the cloud before the wind changes and it blows the other way. Uh, yeah. Let's not get into toxic clouds and wind and outrunning it and stuff like that. I think we've seen that recently and don't want to talk about it anymore, but yeah, the, the, you know, the, the earth is mad at us and they want to kill us with toxic, uh, toxic. This was done better. This was better than what, uh, you know, M night Shyamalan did in that movie called the happening. Sure. But I was, I was, I was also thinking about fear with them outrunning nuclear clouds all the time. Right. And Oh yeah, that too. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, done better than that too. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Cause this cloud was coming. And it was, they knew it was coming because, well, up until this, you know, the end of the uh, end of the world, uh, there was, you know, people tracking the weather so they could track it, mm-hmm. right? Whereas in fear, they, they couldn't. And in the happening, they tried to outrun it. Yeah. Oh fair. no, it's the wind. I, I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> this was done better than all of that combined. The quality of this movie is high. It's and I think that uh, you I, did you mention that the, the the critical response was better than the uh, than the everyman response the, the audience score that's right audience score and I can see why because mm-hmm. the quality of this movie is good but the subject matter is upsetting uh, yeah that's fine and that's fair uh, I do think the quality of this movie was really good I think it was well written well shot paced well it was a tight like hour and 20 minutes or something like that it's not hour 32 yeah something like that it's not a long movie um you i think you learn everything you need to about these characters there's a there's an extended scene where the adults are sitting around talking about their younger days and and actually who's slept with who amongst the group and stuff like that yeah which i personally felt dragged on a little bit but it did give you a pretty solid idea of what these people were like certainly a couple of them and i thought the dynamic between the one woman in the red dress who was in love with the other guy but her husband sitting right there the fact that all sort of inhibitions went out the window in the face of certain death uh i thought was kind of interesting right it was it was interesting it was it was portrayed well with that scene with the adults and it was portrayed well with the scene with uh, the two parents and and art in the car at the end where they were telling him you know shut up and he was like you shut up <laughs> yeah you know, and he was not giving in because you know a kid's inhibition at the end of the world is like fuck you i don't care if you're my parents shut up i'm doing this right like yeah uh, your power over me is gone like it's gone there's nothing there there's nothing left this is uh you know, our, 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 uh, you know, relationship dynamic has completely changed now that it's the end of the world. Yeah. And with the adults, it's all the same thing. It's, uh, um, uh, you know, why, why didn't you ever sleep with me? You know, I was always in love with you for such a long time. Your <laughs> husband's right there. And at the end, of, you know, that, that family was, uh, tragic and funny and that was a good dark comedy family, right? Because right. the daughter would not hug the mother at all. And the husband, she said, uh, you know, at the end, after they took the pills, did you always find me boring? And then her answer was, yeah, but there's so much more to you. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, 
it's it's funny well early on in the film they're driving to the place right and and they're having this conversation in the car and then there's a scene where he's singing a christmas carol in the car and she's riding along with her fingers in her ears plugged right like it it yeah. just sort of tells you what you need to know about these two and then they expand on it from there you know i did we did that one time me and a couple of friends you know being from a small-ish town and uh having uh friends that have known each other for a long time uh one night a couple of friends and I decided to uh, plot the interpersonal sexual relationships that we knew about in our friends. Okay. Uh, and we drew kind of a diagram uh, and we had to, we had to fucking burn it. Like it was like, okay, oh. this, this is too much information for any, for this to get out at all. Uh, yeah. Let's just move on with, uh, yeah, people have had relationships and we had, there was like nexus people that were like these friggin' people that just slept with everybody. That and sounds like a upsetting. terrible idea. <laughs> Luckily, I was way on the outside. I was like, yeah, I barely know any of these. I barely slept with any of these people. Oh, good. So that was, that was nice. I was definitely not one of the Nexus people. But uh, when you have friends that are friends for such a long time, uh, you know, there's going to be these interpersonal things that go on uh, in the past. It's like, well, that was way before you, though. Like, sure, I slept with 37 people and <laughs> they were all friends uh, and it was at a party one night. Yeah. But it was before I met you. Can't hold it against me. No. That's not my fault. So yeah. it was well done. I thought it was well done. I think so overall too. Now, uh, you mentioned earlier too that the, the one of the kids questions, well, Art questions his dad about about the inequality of all of this too, right? Some people yeah. get pills, other people don't. Uh, I appreciated that the movie brought that up. I mean, you know, social inequality is a pretty problematic thing in society right now amongst a lot of other things going on uh the movie doesn't really reckon with it because you don't you don't see any of that right we stick with this family or this group of people the entire time but i did yeah. appreciate the fact that it was brought up um yeah and it was obvious that these people had money right like this yes. house was really nice and then they said to the grandmother thank you for the use of the house mm -hmm. and then she died in a mansion right it right. wasn't so it was, and like by mansion, like it was, it was a fucking estate. Like castle like it was somewhere. It huge like. castle yeah. thing. So this was the use of like what the lake house. I'm not entirely sure, but it was a, uh, it was probably was a small provincial cottage that she had. And meanwhile, there's like 300 rooms and 40 bathrooms. Yeah, for this sure. House. This was, this was the summer home or the whatever you call it in, the, in, yeah. in Britain. So, so there definitely was, uh, these these, this group of friends and stuff were on the high end of that uh, equality differential. A hundred percent, hundred percent. And I don't know how you would have done it in this film to explore that a little bit more. You would have had to have seen the other side of things, right? So, yeah. you know, maybe it's not ideal that it was kind of brought up. I, I sort of watching it appreciated that they were thinking along those lines. Uh but I suppose it could have been explored a little bit more, but then that would have either made the film longer or would have been at the expense of the story we did get with this group of, I guess, wealthy people. Like one of the dudes is a doctor and he shows up in this fancy Lotus, right? These people definitely yeah. have money. So, yeah. So, and, uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, I was, I forget exactly what I was going to say. I was just going to say that I, I appreciated them having this in the film, but I think it would have been a very different movie if they'd explored it too much oh, beyond that. That's what I was going to say, was that in order to show that other side, they would have had to show the gore of it. 
uh, of the yeah. uh, of the apocalypse, and they wanted to save that for a dramatic moment, which I appreciated as well, right? Like this was all uh, theoretical. Like the whole thing was theoretical until the end, mm-hmm. uh, and we needed to see the gore of uh, of that toxic cloud through art uh, as a um, an example, the only example of what was going to happen. So the, I think the uh, the fear of the apocalypse uh, needed to be more prevalent than the horror of it, mm-hmm. because uh, it was the fear of uh, of this potential horror that caused everybody or forced everybody to take the pills. Right. Yeah. So we, that's needed, right. we had a single example of what the, the gore was like, and that was important to the film as well. So I think, uh, I, I think those choices were well-made. You know, I also think there is, I think there's something here, which I can't really uh, wrap my mind around entirely related to Brexit too. And, and I right. think that because, you know, the, the pills they were given are, are referred to as exit pills and you see the kid online yeah. at some point and he's visiting exit.gov.co.uk, right? Trying to find out information on things. And, you know, I think maybe a uh, British person or a British historian even should watch this movie and maybe write us in an email and see if there are any thematic elements that kind of relate to the whole uh British uh, separation from the European Union, because I think I think the movie was trying to say something there, uh, but I am not close enough to it to really to really get it. I don't think, but they they made it pretty clear that these were exit pills and, yes. you know, not suicide pills, but maybe it's just a nicer way of saying it. I don't know. Well, kind of it kind of is. I mean, there were suicide pills, right? Like they absolutely were. Well, they exist in real life. You mean? Yeah, of course. Well, no, but these pills were meant to be oh, suicide pills. Like yes. they weren't just like, let's get out of uh, the European uh, Union. No, I, I understand that. But like equate, not equate, but like relate the two somehow. British leave, you know, the British leaving the European Union, cutting off their connection to that. These people leaving life, <laughs> right? And so I don't know. I don't know if there's something there, but I couldn't stop thinking about it a little bit while uh, while the movie was on. That's fair. Uh, however, um, the ending of this film, I think we should talk about. So we already mentioned that Art runs out. He breathes in a little bit of the toxic cloud before anybody else, and then is taken by his father back into the house. And that's when really the climax of the film happens. Like you see all the people, uh, take their pills and lie down in their beds and so on. And, um, we come back to a little bit of the uh, black comedy that you were talking about, Jason, in the scene with the main family, uh, Keira Knightley, Matthew Good, Art, and their other two sons, yep. in their bedroom, getting ready to take their pills, and the things that the father has to do, right, and the and the way that the other two sons approach this whole thing in such a nonchalant way, wanting to have a Coke each, like Coca Cola, to. to drink their pills down and you know he gets them it's not be fair it's not cold he needs to get them ice it has to be fair it pours into a glass and they're comparing the levels like the shit that kids do right yeah um and like i found that kind of funny again in the face of this horrific horrific thing 
they're still worrying about this, you know? And his exasperation, like he's, he's not, and I think uh, he did a very good job of, uh, Matthew Good, he did a very good job of portraying both, uh, you know, being exasperated as a father for the demands that his family is making him do, yep. but also portraying the horror of the fucking situation where he has to do all this stuff when they're trying to all kill themselves. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm like, we're, we got a job to do here. Uh, you know, and you're, you're nitpicking and forcing me to run up and down these stairs. Uh, you know, it's, it's like a Plinko game on, uh, or, you know, the game on the price is right where you mix all the prizes or the prices around and then you pull the lever to see how many you got right. And, and like, there's no indication other than pulling that lever. So he has to run downstairs, do all this stuff, come back up, uh, pull the lever. He's like, nope, they're not cold. Oh. Run downstairs, <laughs> get the ice, come back up, pull the lever. Uh, no, we spilled a bunch of Coke because they were all warm and now we don't have the same amount. Okay. Got to run downstairs, grab yeah. some more Coke, come back, pour it in so that you can compare how much you have versus what your brother has. Uh, I, I think Matthew did a fantastic job of, uh, you know, skirting or portraying both of those situations. Yeah. The exasperation and the horror of the situation that he's in. I agree. I a hundred percent agree. I enjoyed those scenes. Uh, and, and you're right. He's back and forth to the pantry to try and satisfy his ridiculous child, the, 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 the ridiculous demands of his, his two sons. Right. So yeah, it was good stuff. Um, we see what's going on with the other characters and there's some interesting things there too, but really the focus here is on this main family that, uh, that owns this house. And the twist here is that art he breathed in some of the cloud, so he is unconscious during all of this, being held by his mother. And when she finally takes a look at him, he's got blood all over his face uh, and appears to be dead. So he doesn't take a pill. Yeah. The cloud rolls. Everybody else takes their pill. Presumably it's 100% success rate with these pills. So they all die. The cloud runs through over them and we fade to. An indeterminate amount of time later, I would say, when it's winter outside and there's snow on the ground, it's snowing. We get some shots of the landscape and the house and things like that. Some shots inside the house of all the other people dead in their beds or wherever they were when they took their pills. We see the main family, all of them piled into one bed as we pan across and we stop on Art's face. And of course, the final shot of the film is him opening his eyes. Right. Now, I must admit, Jason, I saw this ending coming a mile away. Uh, I didn't see it until the they started with the snow and they showed that it was, uh, you know, the cloud was basically dissipated at that point. Uh, and then they started going around and uh, a little bit before they showed his face, I'm like, oh shit, he's alive. Well, the thing for me was... He was the character that was questioning it all, questioning everything so heavily. He was the one who didn't want to take the pill. And I'm like, okay, he's going to be the one that somehow survives this. Uh, and then when he breathed in the gas and he, he had some convulsions and he was not in great shape, but he didn't like immediately die. Uh, I just, I, I could see it coming. I was like, yep, I know he's going to open his eyes. I know he's going to be alive somehow. Um, and that's exactly what happened. Now, 
I'm not saying it's exactly that clear on what the state of things are at the end of the film, because I think there's some questions. Like, number one is how much time actually has passed? I started I started wondering, is it winter behind this cloud? So as soon as it was gone, like it's winter right then and there, or has the cloud gone and dissipated and a month has gone by and we've gone from December to January and now it's you know, the dead of winter and it's snowing and they've all been lying there for a month. I'm not sure about that. First of all, any, any thoughts? I thought it was the next day. Okay. Uh, because everything took place in one night and, uh, I thought that it was the next day that night it snowed and took care of the, uh, the toxic cloud and he woke up the next morning. Okay. So let's no, say everybody seemed dead, but they didn't seem decayed. If it was a month. Yeah. Uh, the state of those dead people would be entirely different. Like they'd be to the point where this is why I watch too much. Uh, doesn't need care of why I watch too much, uh, law and order crime podcast. Oh. So, <laughs> and law and order and stuff, but they would blow it out. Uh, and depending on how, uh, how much they blow it out, they tend to, uh, explode a little bit, mm -hmm. let's just say. So, uh, they'd be like pulpy messes, like with like fat bubbling and maggots and stuff. So yeah, after a month, it would be really nasty. Okay. Fair enough. So it's the next day, but here's the question. Is art alive or is art a zombie? I don't know. My first thought was like, okay, he survived. He's alive. Then I'm like, I don't know. He seemed pretty dead. Maybe this cloud turns people into zombies. And no one knows this because they're all taking their pills and actually dying and not just breathing in a little bit of the cloud and, and waking up again. His eyes didn't look dead, but they also didn't look natural. They looked extremely blue, bluer than they were before. So I'm wondering, what's the implication here? Is our alive and now he's all by himself and it's winter and everyone else around him has killed themselves, which is arguably more tragic. Or is there some kind of undead situation going on and we're going to get Silent Night 2 zombie boogaloo next year? Well, the, the word zombie was in the dialogue somewhere in this movie. I'm tracking my brain at the moment to try and figure out the context, but I'm pretty sure that somebody along the lines mentioned the word zombie in some context. I don't think it was in the context of the apocalypse, but I think it was in the dialogue somewhere. Okay. I don't remember that, but could be. I don't know. Now I have to watch this movie again, you rat bastard. <laughs> you don't have to if you don't want to, but... Uh... Uh, I don't know. I'm just wondering, like, I don't expect there to be a sequel. I don't think we're going to get an answer to this, but you know, we're a zombie podcast. So I do have to ask the question. I mean, maybe art is a zombie. Maybe this cloud turns you into the living dead rather than just killing you. And it's a strange irony that folks are killing themselves with this pill before, uh, before the cloud comes and turns them into a zombie. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it, it I guess it's within the realm of possibility that, uh, I don't know if we're going to get a part two. No, I, that would not, be silly. Not from a new, uh, writer director. Uh, I think that, uh, a sequel is the kind of thing that, uh, people with a lot of movies under their belt kind of 
go back and say, you know what? I could make more money off of this. Uh, well, let's, maybe. let's pitch a sequel to the, to the, uh, to the studio. But this is, uh, you know, I'm trying to look for the word zombie in a film. Like you can't search it. Right. Uh, so this is where I'm thinking that, uh, uh, you know, the advances that we've made as a, as a species in, in the realm of AI, or at least limited AI, there's probably an AI out there that has, uh, the ability to watch a movie and to look for the word zombie and show me the timestamp of where that word is. I don't even think that would be that tricky these days. No, it's I mean, when there's probably an algorithm out there to do it, but, uh, you know, it's just, it's basically searching, uh, footage and there's, there's a script, right? I could probably, if I dug hard enough, I might be able to get access to a script online yep. or at least, uh, if I spoke German, I could, uh, I could watch the, or I could get into the subtitles, uh, or actually maybe I could get access to the subtitles because the German word for zombie is probably the same as the English word for zombie because it comes from Czech. So no robot comes from check zombie. Oh, does check. Not. Oh, okay. Zombie. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Robot comes from check. <laughs> I got that confused. Anyways, see, we could figure that out, but I don't have an answer. It's just a question I wanted to throw out there. If anyone has seen this movie or is going to watch it, uh, you know, let us know what you think. I, if you're going to watch it, listen for the word zombie and let me know the timestamp. I'd like to <laughs> see where that is. Sounds good. Uh, okay. Well, overall, I think this movie was much better than a 5.7 out of 10, which IMDb yeah. has it on. I think it was well made. I think it's pretty impressive for Camille Griffin's first feature directing uh, outing. And I think the movie asks a lot of interesting yet horrific questions. And I certainly can see your point of view of, of kind of being terrified by this stuff and not wanting to have to deal with it. Um, but it's a well done film in my opinion. And I think you should check it out if this sounds like it might be your kind of thing. And I, I agree with you that it is, it is well-made. I think it's a fantastic first outing. Uh, I thought it was, it was a solid movie and I feel better now that I've had a chance to talk about it. Oh, good. Like this is very much a therapeutic session for me. I don't feel as upset by the subject matter now as I did last night, mm -hmm. uh, because I've had a chance to, to talk about it and the voice, the fact that, uh, this shit scares me. There's, yeah. there's shit in the fact that the art wakes up at the end and everybody he knows is dead and he's alone in the universe and 12 years old and has to fend for himself. Uh, it's absolutely a horror mine. Yeah. Right. And this is why I told you and, uh, I think it was probably a year and a half ago now that uh, if you don't hear from me on uh, on chat for a couple of days, uh, call the police and get a welfare check because uh, I'm worried that, you know, I'll wake up one morning dead and uh, so will my wife and my son will be here all by himself. So, uh, yeah, do that. If you don't hear from me every couple of days, uh, call in a welfare check. I, I will do. I would be perfectly happy with the police knocking on the door saying, uh, somebody has uh, called in a welfare check. Are you okay? Yes, I am okay. I would thank you for calling the police to my house. Okay. Well, I will definitely keep that in mind. In fact, I mean, just before we wrap up here, uh, something like that has been in the news recently because I keep alerts on Walking Dead for news. So I Don't tell me that something like what, like people woke up dead. Uh, well, do you remember Alicia Witt, the actress who did one yes. episode of Walking Dead? Uh, I don't believe you were a big fan of hers, if I recall no, that I'm one. I'm not a big fan a lot. of hers. Uh, she recently, um, uh, both of her parents 
uh, found dead in their home. It's been a huge news story in the last couple of days, at least if you follow Walking Dead actors. Uh, I don't believe there's a cause of death yet, but I've been getting the notification over and over again that uh, both of her parents were found dead in their home recently. And she did that very thing. She called a neighbor to go check on them when she didn't hear from them and stuff like that. So uh, very scary and very shitty for that family. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's it's strange that this is all kind of coming up at the same time. Yeah. Well, anyway. Yeah. Horror. It's a horror of mine. And uh, so it was not only uh, you know, art that woke up uh, alive when everybody else was dead, but then it was, uh, what's her name? The little girl in that weird family that wouldn't hug her mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, she ran downstairs to get her doll and she came back and both her parents were dead. Yep. And her, own, her only option was to crawl into bed with her dead parents. She had taken the pill already though. So she, she was had. just on her way. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the horror of that situation. Right. Like there's just, there's so much, there's so much (laughs) that was, uh, was upsetting to me. Yet somehow it's a good movie. All right. It it was a good movie and that, uh, I think it, 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 uh, it makes me, you know, angry (laughs) a little bit (laughs) at the movie. Why do you have to be so good when I hated you so much? Well, there you go. All righty. Uh, that is it, everyone. That's going to be, this is going to be our last podcast for 2021. Um, now here's what's going to happen over the next little while. We are going to do our mini Pollyanna Macintosh spotlight in the new year. Don't know exactly when, but it'll be sometime in January. Uh, I also, with that in mind though, want to play a call here. We got from listener Ray. So listen to this. Hey guys, it's Ray from Maryland. I'm big fan of what you guys have been doing so far, and I am delighted beyond words that you are going to do a Pollyanna Macintosh spotlight. Um, before you leap into the woman, you should probably know that it's a sequel to a movie called The Offspring. Um, also, uh, we get a lot of criticism on this show from people who think consider Walking Dead is sometimes kind of over the line in terms of aggressive goriness and those people should probably buckle the hell up for this one keep on doing what you're doing i'll be listening okay thank you ray so now i'm starting to regret the decision to do a Pollyanna mcintosh spotlight gore i have no problem with okay here's the thing though i i did not know the woman was a sequel so we were gonna do the woman and the sequel to that called Darlin, which is written and directed by, or at least directed by Pollyanna McIntosh. Right. I did not know these were the second and third movies in basically a trilogy, the first one called Offspring. So I went to IMDb and I looked up Offspring and I read some of the notes from the MPAA, the ratings uh, panel in the US. And I'm not going to say what these notes are, but after reading them, I'm not sure it's a movie I want to watch. Really? Yeah, for, you know, we just watched uh, Silent Night, and it was kind of a triggering movie for you with one of your greatest fears. I'm not saying The Offspring sounds like it has, it depicts my greatest fears, but it sounds like it depicts things that I am not interested in seeing. So now I don't know what to do, because I kind of feel bad about not watching the entire trilogy. I'm also worried that I, I don't know if... You know, maybe the woman and Darlin, if they're similar, uh, maybe I'm not sure I want to watch those anymore. I'm still committed to doing it because we said we would, but I have a little bit of nervousness about the whole thing right now. So my question to you is, Jason, should we stick with the original plan or should we add the third movie to this and watch all three of them? 
And I know it doesn't help that I don't want to talk about what it says that that movie depicts. Well, if, if it's, you say the word offspring, so it makes me concerned now too. Right. right? Yes, exactly. So, Let's uh, put it this way. The depictions that are listed on the sort of MPAA, it's not really warnings, but they explain their decision of why it's rated the way it is. I mean, the word baby is in there more than once. I don't know if I can do, I can't, this was hard enough. I didn't know what I was getting into. Right. There's been, there's been many movies where it, uh, you know, there's that movie with, uh, <sighs> Bilbo Baggins, uh, Lord of the Rings. No, it wasn't it was the guy who played Bilbo Baggins <laughs> okay. and, uh, was protecting a baby in the zombie apocalypse. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and I refused to watch it. So you had to do a review with your wife think okay maybe yeah whatever that was so i now i'm concerned right so i i feel some concern so i think the best option here is let's watch the woman and let's watch darlin the two pollyanna pollyanna mcintosh movies sometimes her name's a bit of a mouthful um and and talk about those uh and not watch Offspring because I think it would just be unnecessarily upsetting for us. And maybe the woman and Darlin are going to be the same, but we're going to have to find out. Do we need to read a synopsis of the Offspring in order to get up to speed or can we just go in uh, half cock? I, I don't think you, I don't think we really need to read the synopsis of it. I think we're going to just go in starting with movie two and uh, and, and go from there. And, and anybody out there, if you've seen Offspring and you'd like to send in some comments or thoughts on it, please, it would be my pleasure, our pleasure to receive that email and sort of, we can include it in the podcast when we talk about the other two films. And, uh, you know, I would love to get some of that from listeners. So do that if you can. And of course, if you're going to watch The Woman and Darlin, or if you already have, and you have some thoughts and you want to send those in, get them to us because it would be great to hear what some of the listeners think of these films too. So good. I think I'm okay with this decision. I'm glad I brought it up and Ray, I appreciate you letting us know about it. And cause I, I don't think I would have known otherwise. I didn't yeah. have any idea that there was a, a movie that preceded these ones. So that's what we'll be doing uh, later in January. Before then though, I am going to be recording podcasts about the book of Boba Fett with Jason Cabassi from Podcastica and uh, another guy named Eric. That's going to be super fun. Book of Boba Fett starts, uh, I believe, on December 29th. So our first podcast about that will come in the day or two after that date. And those will be released on the Podcastica network. So check that out at podcastica.com if you want to hear me talk about the book of Boba Fett. Uh, we're doing this because we also covered the Mandalorian, uh, all of the two seasons of the Mandalorian. So only makes sense to continue with the Boba Fett show. Mm -hmm. So that'll be happening in mostly in January as well. I think there's only five or six episodes of the Boba Fett show. So a few weeks and we'll be done. It's not called the Boba Fett show though, right? It's called the Book of Boba Fett. That's the, the Book title. of Boba Fett. That's so it's not called, it's not the Boba Fett happy hour, right? Or the, no. the happy variety hour? No, I mean, that's kind of a missed opportunity, I think. But Book of Boba Fett's not bad either. Well, if you're going to get, uh, 
is he Australian? Yeah, he's Australian. Uh, the actor. Yes. Um, I can't remember his name right now. Yeah. If you're going to get him in something, uh, it's got to be all singing, all dancing, right? <laughs> sure. Why not? <laughs> if it is, I think our podcast is going to be very different than I expect. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, yeah, Boba Fett rocks. Like, you know, he's out there slam dancing with the best of them. You know it. Yeah. Isn't it, is his name a T, uh, Tamura Morrison? That's what it is. That's what it is. I think he's a singer dancer, isn't he? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I'm thinking of uh, Hugh Jackman. He is, well, he is. Uh, yeah, he sings and dances. Anyways, this guy's New Zealand as well, from New Zealand as well. So there you go. Hugh Jackman's Kiwi, right? Isn't he? No, I think he's Australian. Oh, shit. All right. Anyways, uh, <laughs> I'll, we'll get facts straight before we start that show. And, oh, uh, facts are for chumps. Facts are for chumps. There we yeah, go. Yeah, we don't need facts. We have, uh, I don't know what we have, but it ain't facts. No, that's right. <laughs> Okay, uh, with that, let's wrap this sucker up here, Jason. Once again, thank you so much to everyone for tuning in all of these years and all of the last year and so on. I am super looking forward to The Walking Dead returning in February. And that's when we'll, of course, be back to regular episodes. So, uh, you know, if you're going to take a little time off, we'll see you then. Otherwise, we'll see you for our Pollyanna Macintosh stuff in January. But as I said, thanks to everyone for listening. It means so much. We very, very much appreciate it. And uh, we wouldn't be here without you guys. So thank you. If you would like to get in touch with us, find me on Twitter at Talking Dead. Well, find the show on Twitter at Talking Dead. I've quieted down there a little bit lately just because it's the holidays and took a little time off. But by all means, tweet at us. Uh, you can also send emails to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com or go to the website talkingdeadpodcast.com and click on send voicemail at the top to send to record and have your thoughts sent into us as an audio file. That's a great way to do it too. Alrighty. Until next time, everyone. My name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.